On the show today, a Georgia county reveals that its election infrastructure was attacked by ransomware, Avast announces it found 21 Android apps containing an advanced tracking trojan, the Better Business Bureau is warning of a new scam promising you gift cards, our scam of the day is an email I received that was only 11 characters long, and just in time for Halloween, Today's tip is our spookiest yet, as we discuss five things that should scare you. All of that and more is coming up on the October 29th, 2020 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity made personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have four stories on the news beat today. We begin with election news where more details have been released regarding a Georgia County's election infrastructure that was recently hit with ransomware. Hall County, Georgia, which is approximately one hour north of Atlanta, had initially disclosed that an attack occurred on some systems, but it had not revealed which systems were affected. In the latest update on the attack, the county revealed that its voter signature database was among the affected systems. The attack did not appear to be directed at the election infrastructure, as it also affected other government systems, such as the county's email server and phone system. However, this is the first known instance of an attack affecting election infrastructure during this current cycle. County officials say that the attack did not affect anyone wishing to cast a ballot, but it may slow down the process of counting absentee ballots since some signatures will have to be compared with manual records. And moving to the West, Louisiana activated its National Guard to help stop a series of cyber attacks aimed at government offices. As in the Georgia incident, election infrastructure did not appear to be the ultimate target, but the attacks do highlight the possibility of a significant disruption as Election Day draws closer. The investigations revealed the use of a remote access trojan, or RAT, previously used by a group affiliated with the North Korean government. However, investigators cautioned that some of the code for this malware has been published online, so it does not necessarily indicate that the North Koreans were behind these attacks. Moving on to smartphone news, security firm Avast revealed it has identified 21 Android apps on the Google Play Store that were using the Hidden Ads Trojan to collect data and serve malicious advertising. These apps masqueraded as games, but they asked for excessive permissions in order to be able to track user data. Advertisements on social media platforms were used to entice users to download these apps. Over 8 million devices have already installed these malicious apps. According to Avast, most of the offending apps have already been removed, but they are still present on the devices that had them installed. And as we approach the holiday season, 
The Better Business Bureau is warning of a new gift card scam that is spreading on social media. The scam claims to be giving away gift cards to help those in need during the holiday season. However, once you select the amount of gift card that you want, you are asked to purchase a green dot card in order to pay for a supposed fee. You can probably guess what happens next. The scammers take the green dot card number and make off with the money, while you're left waiting for a gift card that will never arrive. As in so many other areas of life, it's important to remember the classic saying, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And now we move on to our scam of the day. Today's scam will be very short to read. It actually came from someone who emailed me just a few months ago. The subject line said, check this out, lol. And I say the email was very short because it consisted of just an 11-character link. But being the naturally curious cybersecurity expert, I clicked the link. Now I must stop here and provide this disclaimer. Do not do this at home, or at work, or at any other place where you may check your email. When I clicked on the link, I did it in a special environment that I have set up just to keep my computer safe. That system has no personal information about me, and if something bad does happen there, I can just delete the whole thing and start over. So in this case, do not follow my example and click the link just because you're curious. The link took me to a jumbled mess of a website address, which I won't bother to read here. About a second later though, my download window opened and a file began downloading. Once the download finished, I opened the file. But once again, I repeat, don't do this on your own system. The file that downloaded was ransomware. About a minute after I opened the file, my screen was taken over with a demand that I send Bitcoin to an address in order to be able to access my system. Additionally, it warned me that if I refused to pay, the contents of my computer would be posted online for everyone to see. Now first, I didn't see any evidence that my files were actually being sent to the scammers. While that kind of thing does happen, it's usually done on more targeted attacks that are usually aimed at larger companies. And second, I had no personal data that could be accessed anyway, so all I had to do was delete that environment and create a new one from a backup. My computer and my personal files were all unaffected. But this shows the danger of just clicking links at random. In this case, all I had to do was click the link and the file was downloaded. And then if I opened the file, either then or at some point in the future after I'd forgotten what it even was, it would have installed the ransomware on my system. If you have a scam that you think we'd like to read on the show, or if you have a link that you'd just like us to click and see what it does, you can send it to scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it's time for our cybersecurity pop quiz. Each episode, I'll ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is a multiple choice question. The question is, 
Which of the following is the most likely problem that could arise? Would you use a public USB charging station? A. The port catches your phone on fire. B. The port makes a copy of the data on your device. C. The port makes you butt dial your significant other. Or D. The port turns your device into an evil robot. The answer will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you can be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 2 in February. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next episode is released at 8 a.m. on Monday, November 2nd. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules. Last week's question was, which of these is the safest and most private way to pay for your purchases? A. Cash B. Credit card C. Debit card or D. Check The correct answer is A. You may notice that in the question, I intentionally asked for the best combination of safety and privacy. Some people might argue that the purchase protections of a credit card make it a safer way to pay than cash, and they wouldn't be wrong. But you're still faced with the loss of privacy because your purchases can be tracked when you pay with a credit card. As I've mentioned on this show before, I don't recommend using debit cards or checks at all. Both give people direct access to your checking account, and in the case of checks, you're even giving out your bank account number. Obviously, you have no choice but to use a credit card online, but if you're looking for the best balance of privacy and security for an in-person transaction, cash is the way to go. With Halloween just two days away, It's time for this show to get a little spooky. When we come back from this short break, our tip will give you five things that should scare you online. If you have a cybersecurity question you'd like to know the answer to, you don't have to wait for an episode about it. We want to hear from you, whether it's a question you have or a comment you want to leave us about the show. You can reach us by email at info at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com or you can leave a voicemail at 859-968-9399, option 2. We'd love to hear your feedback or your questions, and we will definitely consider them when we discuss future topics or changes to the show. Plus, if we select a topic based on your message, we'll be sure to recognize you in that episode. Once again, that's info at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com or 859-968-9399, option 2. Almost one year ago, I made a trip to Chicago. As I was searching for a hotel in the area, 
I found an excellent deal on a hotel that was just a block off of the city's famous Michigan Avenue. Despite having spent most of my early years living about an hour outside of Chicago, I'd never had much opportunity to visit many of the city's famous attractions. So I thought that staying downtown might offer me the option to visit some of these attractions during my downtime. As I was taking an afternoon stroll down Michigan Avenue, I was stopped by some people who represented a well-known organization that provides opportunities for people with disabilities. I know that the organization does great work, and in fact, I know multiple people who have participated in their activities. They were asking for donations, and based on what I knew about the organization and how friendly the representative was, I was ready to give one. However, unlike many organizations that solicit donations, they weren't accepting cash at the time. Instead, they wanted me to enter my credit card number into an iPad and have it charged to my card. This presented two problems for me. First, on a personal level, I normally carry the discretionary money in my budget with me in cash. Since it would be several days before I'd be back home and able to make a deposit, I would then have to loan myself the money from another item in my budget in order to pay off the card, which is something I try to not have to do. But the bigger problem dealt with the technology. And that brings me to the first thing that should scare you. Entering your credit card number or any other sensitive information, including a password, onto a device that you don't own. I had full confidence that the people who stopped me were legitimate representatives of that organization. They had ID badges identifying themselves as employees. We were right next to one of the organization's offices, and there was a man table with pamphlets set up right outside the door. To put it simply, if they were scammers, they went to a lot of work and expense to make their operation look legitimate. However, I have a policy that I never enter any personal information into a device that I don't have control over. This could be a computer at the public library, or as was the case in this instance, an iPad that was owned by the organization. When you use another device, you don't know what's been installed on it. Now I trusted that organization wouldn't have intentionally tried to steal my credit card number, but it's certainly possible that someone could have downloaded an app that had a secret malicious component to it. Without taking the time to examine the iPad for myself, there was no way that I would feel comfortable entering my credit card number on that device. Now the person I was speaking to tried to point out the lock icon on the browser, stating that meant the device was secure. And I do agree that meant the transmission of my data would be secure, but it didn't mean that something couldn't have gotten my credit card number before it was encrypted to be sent over the internet. So in conclusion, I recommend that unless it's an absolute emergency, you only enter sensitive data on your own devices. A second thing that should scare you online is limits on the size of your password. The general rule when it comes to passwords is that longer is better. The organization I work for now requires passwords to be at least 15 characters long. 
And while I agree that's probably about right for a company-wide limit, a 15-character password is way too short for my personal liking. The vast majority of my personal passwords are now over 50 characters long. Good luck guessing those hackers. So that's why it surprises me when I see companies that have limits on the length of passwords. One technology retailer shocked me when I tried to strengthen my password, only to be told that my password had to be between 6 and 13 characters in length. A 13-character password is not a very secure password nowadays, especially for a company that would later ask if I wanted to save my credit card number to my account. In most cases, I think low password limits were probably set at a time when we could all afford to have shorter passwords, and the password length hasn't been examined or changed since then. It's not that this technology company wanted everyone to have bad passwords. They just set the limit at a time when a 6-character password was decent and a 13-character password was sufficiently strong, and they haven't examined that since then. I'm not going to say that you should never use a website that only lets you have a 13-character password, but you do need to consider what data could be exposed if that password is stolen. I rarely save information on my accounts anyway, but there's no way I would have saved my credit card number with that technology retailer. The third item that should scare you online also involves your passwords. You should definitely be scared if a website emails you your password when you've forgotten it. At one time, that was the standard practice if you forgot your password. But now, that process indicates a lack of security. Companies should not even be able to provide you your password anymore. The modern process for storing account passwords is to use an algorithm that only works in one direction a process known as hashing. This means that if you know the password, you can generate the encrypted version of it, but you can't figure out the original password if you only have the version that was hashed. Then, each time you enter your password, it's run through that hashing process, and the result now is compared to the result that you got when you set the password. If the results match, you know that the correct password was entered. A company that's able to store your passwords in this manner will never be able to email you your password because they don't even know what your actual password is. They just know the hashed version that they store. That's why nowadays you normally get a link to reset your password when you forgot it. If a site is still able to email your password to you, it means it's not being hashed before it's stored in the systems. As with the last issue, I don't think companies are intentionally trying to store passwords insecurely. In most cases, the company is just using an older system that hasn't been updated to stay in compliance with the latest security standards. So if you do receive a password by email, make sure that you're not using that password anywhere else. If someone manages to compromise that system, that person will have easy access to your password. There's a fourth thing that should scare you online, and that is public Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi at restaurants, coffee shops, hotels, and everywhere else can be wonderful, 
but you must exercise caution with what you do on them. When you access public Wi-Fi, your device is connecting to the same network as all of the other devices in that location. That means they should all be able to talk to each other unless you've taken steps to block those communications. It also means there's a possibility that someone could intercept your traffic and try to read everything you're sending out. Episode 13 talked about how you can increase your security on public Wi-Fi. We discussed why you need to make sure you're connecting to the correct network instead of a possible evil twin. Then, you need to tell your computer that you're on a public network, so it will lock down many of the settings. And finally, you should use a VPN to protect your internet traffic from snooping. You can hear more detail on all of this by scrolling back to episode 13 in your favorite podcast app or by visiting cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash episode 13. The fifth thing that should scare you online is shortened links. When Twitter first became popular, you were limited to 140 characters and everything counted towards that limit, including links. To make it easier to send a link through Twitter, link shortening sites like Bitly popped up that allowed you to take a long link and shorten it. For example, the show notes page for this episode is cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash episode 34, which is 39 characters long. I put that address into Bitly and received bit.ly slash 2TSNRWU which is only 14 characters, shortening the length of that link by almost two-thirds. However, there's a problem with shortened links. You have no idea where that link is going to take you. If a stranger programmed a location into your GPS, you wouldn't automatically follow those directions and trust you are going somewhere safe. Sure, you might end up somewhere really awesome, but you could also end up driving into an ambush in the middle of a forest. When you click on a shortened link, you're going on a virtual equivalent of that same journey. You can't see if that bit.ly link is taking you someplace safe, like, say, cybersecuritymadepersonal.com, or if it's taking you somewhere malicious, like, this site will install malware.com. But in case you're curious, I happen to own the domain this site will install malware.com because unfortunately, cyber criminals are rarely forthcoming about the purpose of their own websites. And no, despite the name, it won't install malware. But that's why you should be suspicious of shortened links. They served their purpose for a time, but now Twitter's character limit has doubled and it doesn't even count the majority of your link towards that limit anyway. That doesn't mean that every shortened link is malware, but you must evaluate it carefully before you click because you don't want to end up in a virtual ambush on a malicious site. The internet is a wonderful place, but it can also be a scary place. And if we're honest, there are some things that you encounter online that should scare you. Entering personal information into devices you don't own should scare you. Limits on the length of your passwords should scare you. Receiving your password in an email should scare you. 
Free public Wi-Fi should scare you. And finally, shortened links should scare you. That's all for today, and that's all for our special episodes for Cybersecurity Awareness Month. But since the cybercriminals keep operating during the 11 remaining months of the year, we're certainly going to continue on as well. We'll have a new episode for you each Monday going forward, including next Monday, where we will discuss how to lock down your camera and your microphone. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.